All right. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome to episode number three of Umarpreneur Live podcast. And on today's episode, I have with me a very good friend and someone that I met around two, three years ago. Uh, and we'll, we'll share the story. And it's Rami Yahya. And he is the founder or co-founder of Custom Heats, which is the world's first custom hot sauce company where you get to really customize your own hot sauce, order online, and it's shipped straight to your door. And he was featured on Dragon's Den and actually landed an investment from one of the dragons. He His videos and his products went viral on Now This. They went viral on Urban Daddy, Rachel Ray, and a few other huge online magazines. And today, inshallah, I will dive in with him into all the secrets behind his company, how he started and how he grew it to the level it is today. Rami, thank you so much for being with us today, man. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you very much for having me here. I've uh, been watching the past few episodes and can't wait to be uh, to see mine uh, live on uh, <laughs> yeah. I love it, man. I love it. I'm really excited to dive into everything, bro. And just to kind of um, really get, get back to the basics. And this is how I like to start these podcasts. I like to tell people and, and share with them a little bit about how you started and what was your journey like before you even got to that point where you know you have this company now alhamdulillah it's all viral and everything but how did you even come up with the idea of a custom hot sauce company like what was the the idea behind that um so uh, i come from a family of entrepreneurs so i kind of had this uh growing up i remember being like 10 years old and working in my parents uh card shop right so, okay. so i've always had a little like a uh, a little interest in business and entrepreneurship and I was exposed to it very young. Now, uh, um, I started this business when I was around 23, I believe. I'm not wow. five. And, um, and I was in university. Um, I was involved in the student union. I was exposed to a bit of uh, management, right, uh, through, through my student union. And while my mandate was ending, I was um, looking for... Um, opportunities to sustain myself or whatever right so okay. so um i knew it was the right time to dive into business i had a tiny bit of money saved up and i okay. had a, somewhat of a safety net of a cup of maybe like five seven thousand dollars um so it, it was not enough money to just make a massive investment in a business and expect uh i mean the buying it like let's just say buying a a retail shop or whatever right so i 100%. had to be a bit bit humble in my beginnings and uh, know what kind of resources i had and how can i use them as um as uh, properly as possible right so makes sense so the first thing that I, I just sat down and I went on uh, and I looked at uh, all of the Shopify apps available on the Shopify app store. Okay. And, I, and, I, and I, I have a computer science background, right? So I tried to have a really analytical and data-driven approach. And I was like, if I use all of these apps available that, that are there to, to increase ads or whatever, then I should have all of the this environment set up to... Uh, to, to have a, a prosperous uh, business. And then I was like, what if we go a bit further and we look for a product that is currently trending and find a little twist to it, right? So um, so uh, we know that the hot sauce industry has been growing because of, sh of shows like um, Hot Ones. Yeah, on YouTube, and, yeah, that's yeah, right. on YouTube. And we, we were looking for... Um, for ways for the we were looking for industries that were growing and we were looking for ways to disrupt an industry where the two top competitors where the top competitors 
wouldn't be interested in competing with us, right? Or okay. we wouldn't be competing with them either. So we looked at the hot sauce industry. There's companies like Tabasco, Shiracha, uh, Frank's Red Hot, and and uh, all the other uh, hot sauce companies. And These are huge companies, right? Huge companies with huge sales and growing sales. But one thing that they that they have is that they only sell one consistent product. Okay. And we decided to have an approach where we customize the product, where the customers can they have a basic product which they can then add do add-ons to it. Okay. So we created our niche and we started exploiting that niche and we gave it a, a little try and the business started growing as soon as we went live. So we were exposed by we were we were covered by Urban Daddy before we we even actually launched our business. Okay. So just with an idea, how, but how did they know about you? So you mentioned that like you studied the industry and you looked at all these other giants and you were starting there with around $7,000 in savings. A lot of people think like, oh man, to start a business or to get funding, you need to have connections or, you know, be someone in Silicon, Silicon Valley or something. Um, you started with 7K. You were already featured before even launching. How is that? Is it because you kind of spread the word that you were about to launch this product? How did you go about that? Um, so I, I think you're bringing up a good point, right? That you, you, in theory, you do need a lot of money to start a business, but the way, the thing is that you could compensate the lack of money with other stuff, right? So let's just say okay. if you, if you take into consideration, um, the fact that we had a viral idea, right? Yeah. It's a custom hot sauce. That's uh, a very fun idea. Uh, that compensated for the lack of marketing dollars that we didn't have to start a regular hot sauce company. Okay. Right? So, for example, Urban Daddy, it's a, it's a blog that has a million monthly readers, right? And uh, when they covered us, we had maybe 30,000 clicks on our website uh, that came organically that we didn't even pay for. If we would have paid for this, it would have costed us maybe $20,000 to have an article written about us in Urban Daddy. So the way Urban Daddy covered us is that we... Um, we, before even having a public website, mm -hmm. we had an Instagram account and it said uh, launching soon, August 25 or whatever. I forgot the date. And okay. we, launched, we launched that Instagram page maybe early uh, July or early August. And before putting too much money into the business, I wanted to see will my Instagram page actually have traction. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think the day after I, um, I created the Instagram account, uh, we were featured, or some blogger found out our business. Okay. And, and I think it was because we followed maybe 500 people and 300 people followed us back because they found the idea funny and interesting. And then the next day we had an article published. So I think that if you, if we, um, if we have a, like, we, you, 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 you can compensate the lack of funds with, um, with a viral, with uh, a concept that is viral, right? So we've, we, ha we haven't paid for a single dollar, uh, we haven't paid for a single featuring in a magazine. Okay. Everything came organically and it came from the fact that we compensated our lack of marketing dollars with uh, approaching people in a way that makes them believe that we are giving them content actually. Okay. And that compensated for our lack of marketing dollars. So you bring us something int pretty interesting and it's that you came up with this idea, but because it was so unique, because it was kind of like something that no one has ever done in the marketplace, you were able to get that initial organic traction. So do you think that for someone that's starting off uh, in a business kind of like that, do you think it's because people are starting business all over and sometimes, you know, it's hard to come up with that unique idea or that revolutionary idea. And a lot of times that unique idea, it's 
you know, the reason why it hasn't been done before is because it probably doesn't work, right? I mean, it's very few and far in between the ones that do work. So, I mean, do you have, do you have, number one, do you have any advice for someone that wants to come up with a unique idea that could go viral like this? And number two, to go viral, does it have to be something unique like yours or can it be something that's already being done, but maybe with a new twist to it or some, or some initial, some new spice added to it, if you know what I mean? Um, I, I well, first of all, I, I think the markets are changing, right? Be, for for different factors, uh, market just regular market trends, consumer behaviors, and the other aspect is um, that new technologies are making us able to release to to um, to um, to explore new opportunities, right? So okay. To give you a bit of an idea, uh, we had no idea how to start this customized, how to actually fulfill our orders once we started taking them. Okay. Uh, and um, there's a there's a since we're doing every order customized for our customers in small batches, we had to do the same process that big hot sauce companies are doing, but on small batch. And that was the reason why no one ever did what we were doing. It's because no one had an idea on how to do it. But um, there was a machine called the um, the thermal mixer that was available that did exactly this. It's like a small batch brewing, uh, blending, mixing machine, and it costed four thousand dollars. But like I just randomly a week after I started looking at these machines, um, what's it called again? Uh, the Instant Pot came up with the Instant Pot Ace, which was a revolutionary blender that heats and boils and mixes all at once for the low cost of one hundred dollars. Right. So the thing is, is that uh, there's new opportunities coming up, and sometimes I mean there's, I mean there's there's we should always have a calculated approach to doing whatever we're doing, right? But um, but uh, there's new opportunities come up because we have new technology sometimes that allow us to do what we were looking to do. Um, I think that for for people that are look, I mean, you, first of all, you don't always need a, a viral a viral concept, right? Okay. But I, but I think that it's um, it's it's a way to compensate for your for your, to, to brand yourself. So okay. let's just say you're in the coaching industry. Um, ask yourself: Is there a specific niche that you could cover that no one else is doing it, right? Um, that's one way, just, just to give you an idea, um, in our, in the hot sauce industry, when people are looking for the, the people in our industry, right? My, my competitors, when they're looking for clients, they brand themselves as a private label hot sauce company when they want to do custom orders for their, for their, for their customers, okay. now, uh, a regular customer or someone who doesn't know industry, industry words like private label, uh, what they're usually Googling is custom hot sauce. And if you Google custom hot sauce right now, we're the first person to, we're the first company to appear, even if we just started like two years ago. Right? Okay. There's companies that have been there like 10 years ago. And it's just because we're focusing on that niche of custom hot sauce while our competitors are using complicated words like private label, or I mean, it's not necessarily complicated, but, uh, but it's, right. it's not the most accessible term. So I think that for, I mean, uh, advice that I would give to people starting their either coaching business or they're, they're looking for a drop shipping product is try to find the smallest tweak to the product that will make it stand out the most right mm. so um to give you guys a bit of an idea uh i like that i like that idea by the way um, i mean there's there's one product i'll be releasing soon and i do not want i mean and it's the perfect example of a tiny little twist but i'll okay i'll, I'll keep it in the loop for you guys but um I mean, there's there's many products that can be multi uh, that could be multi-purposed, and that it is only being sold on their one purpose right now. And you don't need an entire R and D team to release this product. You could just take that product, repurpose it, 
put it under under a different name and that will work. Okay, so sometimes it's like adding a new, taking something that's already existing, but you have to at least add some sort of new twist it. You have to add something that, you know, it brings in your uniqueness or some sort of change to the marketplace or else it's just going to be copy paste like other companies that are possibly established. Like you're talking about, you're competing versus like Sriracha, you're competing versus Franks mm-hmm. um, and versus dozens of other companies. And, and so the way you're able to actually compete is because you have that custom at uniqueness to it. Like you can customize your own hot sauce. We don't make it for you. Well, you have some pre-made ones and we'll talk about that too, but you also allow people to customize. Now, one story that I really love uh, and I want you to share this with the group is how you guys actually fulfilled your first few orders. So I remember when you were just starting the company and again, you were you were starting it out of your parents' house. Mm-hmm. How did you fulfill these first few orders that came in for custom hot sauce? How did you actually make the hot sauce? Uh, to be, look, I was, um, hmm. this was a very, first of all, every time you get a sale, there's the three seconds of pure joy and level of excitement that it's impossible to match. And I still get this feeling every, like right now when I get an order. Uh, but then there's the 10 minutes of, uh, well, first of all, the sale is not actually, doesn't actually belong to you until you fulfill it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you, we're in the business of selling a product we need to honor our customers experience so um it's not a, a get quick money scheme or whatever you need to actually fulfill a, a a a product and every time you fulfill that product your brand is on the line okay your company yeah 100 uh, so um so we when we first started uh we actually uh we, we had no idea what we were doing um i don't have the sounds like, about right <laughs> <and> <laughs> And I, I, um, I, uh, I still didn't know exactly what I was doing, and we were, and we were, we were reading a lot online about how to fulfill these orders, and we were doing a lot of, I mean, the fact that we got massive exposure before we were even ready, we were getting a lot more traffic than we were expecting, and we had a lot more orders than we were ready to ship. Okay. So what we did is that we, uh, we notified our customers about the, uh, about the, um, sorry, one second. We were we were uh, we were notifying our customers that we want your feedback and we want to make sure that you guys are satisfied with the end result. So we were in the kitchen, blending it all up, testing different things, sending different customers different variations of their orders just to know which one they like the most, and then we okay. perform, asking them uh, first of all, what did you like about we what's your what's your experience with our product? How does it feel? Is it good? Would you order again? And here's this promo code to and gift card to thank you for your order, but also for helping us uh, uh, improve our business. So you brought up something really cool. And again, what I love about this is that for the first few orders, you guys were actually cooking these hot sauces out of your mom's kitchen, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. And the whole family was involved. Pretty much. So the whole yeah. family was there together. And this is what I love about the story, guys. And this is what it means to start up a business from scratch if you're dedicated. I mean, Rami created the custom hot sauce company. And to fulfill his first few orders, he would sit there in the kitchen for hours with his family cooking up these custom hot sauces and packaging them to send them to his customers. But one key thing that you brought up, man, and I just I love the story. One key thing that you brought up, and I think it's super important, and it's something that I always push people to do in my program, through our coaching programs at Omar Printer, and it's customer feedback. Like how important is customer feedback when it comes to creating a product, when it comes to building a business. And, and you, mentioned, you mentioned something extremely important, which is you're sending your initial customers 
almost like a mini feedback form, like to tell them, okay, you know, what did you like about the product? What do you think could be improved? And that is so important when starting a business, guys, when you work with a client, when you send a product, it's so important to ask them for their feedback because your customers are really your best critics and they're the ones that are going to help you grow your business. It's not your friends. It's not advisors, coaches, consultants. Cool. These are going to help you in the business strategy. But when it comes to having the best possible product, the best possible service, your customers will help you figure that out by giving you their feedback. So it's important to take that just like Rami did. And you added a very important touch, which I want to highlight as well. And it's that you were sending these customers a promo code for their next purchase. Because again, they already showed that they trusted your company, they had faith in what you were doing, and they wanted to invest in it by purchasing a product. And so why not give them a chance to do it again by giving them a promo code for their next purchase It adds a personal touch, it makes them feel valued as a customer. So amazing tips already in the first, what are we at 60 minutes, there's an insane value that was that's being dropped. So I want to ask you a question now. And this is probably something that people are dying to hear. And it's Dragon's Den. How did you guys even Get on Dragon's Den. And if you guys don't know, Dragon's Den is a show. It's in Canada. There's a version in the UK. Uh, and it's five really uh, huge millionaire investors that have their own million-dollar companies. And they have this show where they bring on young startup entrepreneurs, startup owners, and the startup owners can pitch their idea. And if the investors like it, they'll invest in the company and they'll help as well guide it for growth. And Rami, you had the chance to actually go on that show and actually land an investment. So can you please tell us about that story? How did you even get there? And how did you land that investment? Um, so this was, um, um, we, we looked at the, um, um, well, first of all, Dragon's Den is a very popular show. There's a lot of people watching it. It's a great opportunity for, I mean, when, when whenever there's a lot of people watching some video or whatever, that's always a great opportunity to, uh, to promote your business and get sales, right? So, uh, Dragon's Den was a business decision as for many, many reasons. First one is possibly getting an investment. Second of all, you're getting exposed to God knows how many viewers. Yeah, hundred percent. So because it's broadcast on TV, so yeah. just that it's like marketing on steroids yeah. for your business. So, um, I mean, uh, a lot of my friends were like, I mean, this is the kind of business that should be on Dragon's Den because it's so funny and fun and entertaining and whatever, and you're entertaining. And I was like, I, I mean, I found it extremely flattering, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then I was like, uh, but then I, I, I kept looking for the audition dates and I was like, oh, don't worry about it. I don't know what's going on. They, they never up update their website. I don't know when the auditions are. And then I was at, um, at, some, uh, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a gathering with some friends and then my friend was like, uh, Rami, I think you should really, really, really do Dragons. And I was like, bro, I told you they never update their website and whatever. Like I check every single day. And then I, I went back home and I was like, actually, it's been a month since I haven't checked when the auditions were. And it turned out that the auditions were that month. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, so then I was like, okay, um, I missed uh, the, the last audition was the next day in Toronto. So I think I was at a friend's gathering on a Friday night or on a Thursday night or whatever. And the last audition was on a Saturday or Saturday, just whatever, I forgot. Yeah. Um, now, uh, now um, we, uh, I, I came back home and I was like, the last audition is, is the next day at like noon. And it was in Toronto and I'm in Montreal, which is like a six hour drive. So 
I told my brother, like, this is like, we should, we should take this chance. Let's, let, let's just drive to Toronto. We don't, I mean, it's the last day of auditions. We, we, we messed up. We should have done it much sooner. So we drove at like, we left our house at like 4 a.m., got to Toronto at like 10 a.m., got two hours to like prepare ourselves, prepare a pitch, prepare everything. Uh, that was just for the auditions. The auditions went well. It was in front of two, two producers. Yeah. Uh, they, they called us two weeks later. I, um, that's very funny because uh, during, during that during those that week where I was uh, got what I, where I got that call from uh, Dragonson saying that uh, we we made it for the auditions, I started a five day internship at a fintech company in Montreal called Milo, and the, the CEO appeared on Dragonson, and he came up to me uh, I, and I and I told him like on my first day of the, of the interview like hey I just got this call from CBC and Dragonson saying that we we passed the auditions and we could pitch to the to the Dragons. Yeah, and uh, this, I was interning with the CEO for some reason, uh, not with some manager or anything. And the CEO was like, "Okay, Tommy, your internship is canceled for the next five days. I will help you prepare your pitch. I will introduce you to all my investors, and we will work this on. We will work on this together. And you're still getting paid." And I was like, "Amazing!" Yeah, that was like that was like just um, I, um, that was just super weird because first of all, I, I never considered applying for that internship, and I didn't really expect getting that internship for one week, right? right. And it was like a one-week program, and I didn't expect to get the phone call while I was on that internship. You know, like just there's so many things being aligned, and I think that's just the you just need to do a lot of things, and some stuff will will, will end up working out. Um, right. So putting yourself out there constantly. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. You don't know what you what you will end up uh, c coming up with. So um, then we we uh, we got a we 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 got a scheduled date for the pitch, and it was in Toronto again. And we were pitching in front of the Six Dragons. And um, I mean, there's uh, we were we were fairly we were very confident getting into the into the den. Uh, How do you prepare for a pitch in front of investors before you, you kind of? Yeah. Go, so you, you mentioned you you plan you. Stayed five days preparing for a pitch. A lot of people here might wonder, they might have a business in my audience. They might say, you know what? I'm considering getting some investors for my business, uh, whether it's on Dragons then. And as so from what I understand, there was an audition process. You kind of apply to get on that show. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So you, you apply, you get on that show. If you do get in, you obviously have to pitch. Once you get in, it, you're not in, you're not getting invested. Yeah. You need to make sure that they believe in your company and your vision. How do you prepare for a pitch like that? How do you prepare to pitch investors for your product? What what does what does a pitch have to contain? What do you have to say about your business? What do you have to present? Can you give us any tips on on that end? Well, uh, I'm from the uh, the school of thought where you should never memorize anything at all. Okay, I agree. Uh, I agree, hundred percent. And I think because. Uh, I mean, maybe I mean, yeah. So the thing is, is that you you need to the first of all, there's there's soft skills, uh, will allow you to be more modular and to adapt to situations that you've never been into, right? So, right. Um, I mean, there's 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 I mean, we practice our pitch, but the thing is, is that we don't know what kind of questions they'll be asking. So mm -hmm. there's a fine line between preparation and knowing your product, knowing yourself, trusting yourself. Sorry, trusting yourself. Yeah. And, and um, learn learning how to fight back, right? So it's like um, it's like uh, you're you there, there's some form of attitude that is needed in when you're pitching to investors. And uh, I mean, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be arrogant necessarily too arrogant, but you need to know that you need to show that you're that you're also fearless because that's what investors want. As much as they're grilling you, 
they also want an, an entrepreneur that will be able to uh, to uh, to to face the heat. Okay, yeah, like you're you're able to actually because entrepreneurship is tough. They want to make sure that you can you can take it if if you're facing obstacles because again, it's not sun and roses. Like all these gurus, they'll come and tell you, "Oh, let me teach you how to like quit your nine to five in two weeks and and and, and have the time of your life and and work on your own time." That's not really how it works. It takes months of work. So so uh, so I think that there's a there's a there's a there's an there's like you need to adapt to the situation that you're in and learning how to answer questions and honestly uh, as much as uh, you need to prepare I think you should also people should uh, should practice and because once you practice you can uh, what I mean by practicing is maybe finding smaller level uh, investors right so okay. I mean you you when we I mean before pitching to the dragons every single day we're pitching. Where I'm in the mindset of always pitching, right? So uh, let's just say you want to go to your friend's house when you're eight years old. That's a pitching situation, right? And your parent, you need to ask your parents if you could go chill with your friends, and they won't allow you. You're actually facing investors right now, and you need to learn how to argue and yeah. how to prove your point. Yeah. So, so there's different situations where you can. I mean, we're, we're, we we should be in that framework in that mindset of that we're all that our entire life is a massive sales pitch. Yeah. On where you want to end up being. So 100%. that's kind of that's kind of how I kind of grew up, and and uh, this is why um, I mean we 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 knew our numbers because it's our business, right? I mean, like uh, like any good entrepreneur, you you need to know what your business model is, what where the direction of your business is going. So. Um, so uh, so I think uh, that's kind of the approach facing the facing investors. Um, now we were just in that den and I will not lie to you. Like I didn't realize where I was until you actually see the investors and seeing all these cameras in front of you. Right? Okay. Cause, Cause you're behind the scenes, right? Um, we, were, we were just in the studio getting ready for our pitch. And then all of a sudden they're like, all right, your guys are live. You guys are, cameras are rolling. And uh, don't forget that uh, CBC is a, it's a media platform or whatever you want to call it. So when they're airing your show, um, they're looking for entertainment value. They don't care about the business model. They don't care about how profitable your business is. The, 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 the TV Interesting. Show anyways, right? So there's, so you have to kind of cater your pitch to not only obviously try to land an investment, but you have to be entertaining because it is done on live TV or, or for TV. Right. Because the thing is, is that um, if if I have the greatest business model and a, a monotonous voice, and I'm not entertaining, then dragons then will just ask themselves, will our viewers want to watch this, right? Because at the end of the day, this is they're 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 selling, they're giving me an opportunity to pitch the dragons, but they're also entertaining uh, x number of people on TV and on Netflix. Right. So the thing is, is that we were pitching to the dragons, but we were also trying to put up a show for our people to, uh, to so that we could actually be aired on TV, right? Because out of all of the people that uh, get to pitch the investors, only a finite number of people get end up being live on TV and on Netflix. Right, and you guys got the chance to be live because you're entertaining. So if, if I were to kind of sum up a few takeaways, and I have one more question for you about that specifically, but sum up a few takeaways so far. So you, you're mentioning that Number one, you have to still be entertaining. And I think that not only applies to TV or if, if this is done, you know, in, in, on a show like Dragon's Den, but even if you're just meeting investors in a closed office, like you can't show up and be like monotone mm -hmm. and sound boring when it comes to talking about your business. Because if you don't show up in there 
like the most passionate and excited person about your business, no one else is going to be passionate and excited. I mean, if you walk into a room and you're not even excited about the business that you own and that you're trying to build, how do you expect others to be excited about it for you? Right. So that's just, I think, a lesson that not only applies to Dragons then, but anywhere, anytime and place that you're pitching a business. And another point that you mentioned uh, in terms of praying for investors uh, is that you have to keep it interesting and make sure that, you know, you keep their attention. And that's, again, part of, you know, being passionate, being exciting. But one question I want to ask you is when you guys showed up on Dragons, then and I think a lot that's probably a question that a lot of people have um, before we dive into the Q&A. It's, it's did you need a significant amount of history in your business before being able to pitch or get an investment? A lot of people think like, I need to make this amount of sales or I need to show investors these kind of numbers before I can get an investment. Is that true? Do you need a certain amount of sales or some history before you get an investment in a business? Um, so uh, not necessarily. Uh, well, first of all, first of all, the question about investors is always very difficult. Uh, mm -hmm. Does my business actually need an investor? Do you actually need an investment? Uh, the where's your bit? You should ask, always ask yourself where's your business at the moment and where do you need to where you need to head out and is the investor the quickest and well the the most appropriate uh, option for you. Um, so that's that's just uh, I mean uh, people always think that having investors is cool and it is kind of kind of cool but it also comes with responsibilities meaning well uh, you 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 can't operate your business the way you you were operating it before because now there's more eyes on it right and there's people that are expecting a return. Now um, there's different types of investors there's angel investors that will just look at you look at your model they don't care if you're pre-revenue they don't care if you're if you don't even have a prototype yet. It depends, right? There's there's right. different levels of investors. Um, on Dragons, then, I think uh, realistically, once we once we I think the our pitch was like in uh, in February, and we started the business the uh, August before that. So August, so that's not less than a year that's before. Like, uh, maybe six. I don't. I can't count months. Uh, August, uh, whatever. Like let's just say six months, right? Half a year. Wow. So le less than a year, you guys still showed up there, but because you had an effective idea, you, because you had an idea that you believed in and consequently they were able to believe in, you were still able to land that investment. Exactly. Right. So we went there showing them that we started off with a very small investment, right? Uh, less than $7,000. And we were able to generate uh, Rachel Ray, Time Out, Urban Daddy, now this um, um, media exposure. And that has a dollar value attached to it too, right? And if we showed that we were able to turn a $7,000 business into X number thousand dollar business, then uh, we're giving them the, then we're giving them the idea that we could do the same thing with their money as well. Right. Makes sense. So because you're proving that this is a great idea, we were able to turn, even if it's a small amount, it doesn't have to be a million dollars. You don't have to make a hundred thousand dollars. But if you were just able, you're able to say, I was able to take the small amount, start with it. But because of this idea, I now got it to this amount. It grew to, to a certain level and I'm confident I can grow it to even bigger. If I just had your help, then that's, that's what you need. Now, just a side note, by the way, Rami, because honestly, I have never seen this many questions pop in for a live this uh, ever before on this podcast, which is amazing, mashallah. So we have over, I think over 10, 15 questions already in the comments. So guys, um, I am noting down all of your questions. Please continue to 
put them in the comments, write your questions in the comments for Rami. And at the end, we're going to hold a live Q&A with him where you'll be able to get the answers for all of your questions. So make sure that you keep dropping the questions in. It's not that I'm ignoring them. I'm saving them all on the side and we're going to send them all to Rami and make sure that we put them on the spot and get all your questions answered, inshallah. But before we dive to Q&A, there's a few more things I want to discuss with you, Rami. And it's in terms of custom heats right now and, and where it's at, for, for someone that has an online business at this moment, and it's a product business, okay, where you you ship out and, and you have some sort of fulfillment, does this require like manpower? Does this require a warehouse? What kind of assets do you need at, at the level that you're at right now to run this business? Um, so um, <clears throat> we, we try to operate as lean as possible. Okay. Uh, what that means is that uh, sometimes we... So basically, uh, the way we, 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 we produce right now is where Custom Heats is a brand and we are the driving force behind that brand. We, we generate sales and then we have partners, uh, cater, caterers and, um, and um, uh, well, caterers and, well, let's just say manufacturers. I forgot. Sorry, I completely blanked out the word right now. Uh, that, okay. uh, that are partners that work with us into fulfilling our orders. Okay. So the way our, I mean, we could, we could obviously produce in-house and it might be, we might be, I mean, with, with the proper investment, it could probably be cheaper for us to produce, but we try to act in a way that is much more modular in a way where we want to have the least amount of overhead costs so that we could keep the most profit, or we could keep uh, some profit at the end of the month so that we could reinvest in either other projects or into uh, reinvesting into getting more sales. Uh, because in a business, um, it's important to know uh, wh where your strengths are and what you want to focus on. Mm -hmm. and, if you could, and, and if you could outsource um, any of these responsibilities that you think might be a burden, um, that's kind of interesting, right? Because don't forget that we're in the food industry. And once, once you're in the food industry, um, there's responsibility in shipping a product that is sanitary and that it is... Um, that it is um, it's not gonna like poison the people that get it 100 <laughs> percent. so the way we the way around it is that we found partners that we trust that they have the that have stronger facilities okay that uh that um we feel that uh that they've been through this business of producing food for for i mean i don't just say thousands of years but obviously not for for dozens of years <laughs> and um and uh we found that proper partnerships so the way it works is Let's just say it's a similar to the dropshipping model, although it's not really because we are the sole partnership with these, with the with our with our caterers and our and our order fulfillers. Yeah. So we get the orders, we ship it, we send them out, we print them out at the at the end of the week, send them to our caterers, they produce, they pack and ship, send it out, and uh, we limit our we 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 are able as a small team to focus more time into what we want what we enjoy doing, which is growing our business and spending less time uh, in things that are that are stopping our growth. 100%. And so and you, you mentioned something really important. And I love that. And it's a lot of people kind of take it as a responsibility to do everything in their business. And I have to say, I am 100% guilty of this, guys. So it's an important reminder for me just, must, just as much as it is for all of the audience here today. And it's that at some point in your business, I understand if you're starting off, you might not be able to. Just like you, Rami, when you guys were first starting off, you were doing everything. You were cooking the hot sauces in your uh, mom's kitchen with your family. But as soon as you got to a point where you were able to outsource that task, 
than you did. And you and that allowed you to focus on what you were actually great at, which is running the company, doing the marketing, thinking of long-term strategies for growing this business. And that's essentially what each one of us as entrepreneurs needs to aim for. And it's that once you start the business, you're at a point where you're doing everything yourself. It's a one-man show. You're doing content, sales, editing, service delivery, and a million other things. And you're pretty much a jack of all trades. But then that allows you to know, okay, what am I actually really good at? What are my strengths? And what am I not so good at? And, and when you get to a point where you can afford to outsource, and there's great resources for that, uh, which we can dive into, inshallah, on this podcast, uh, once you can afford to outsource, the things that you're not great at, that allows you to focus more time on the things that you're actually great at. And I think that's an amazing point that you brought up. Is there any resources that you recommend for outsourcing? Now, I know for you guys, it's specific. It's a food company. So you're looking at other uh, caterers for food. But let's say someone has an online business. What are some good platforms that they can go to to outsource their work? Um, so depending on what kind of, uh, I, I like to stay away from platforms like, well, I mean, like, let's just say for, for people that are in the dropshipping business, yeah. I like to stay away from products like uh, AliExpress, uh, okay. for many, many reasons. The first one is that, uh, there's very long lead times, right? And okay. you're surprised to know the amount of local people that are willing to work with you for, uh, obviously a bit more expensive, but uh, for but it will be more reliable. You could actually have a, pre a personal uh, relationship with these businesses. Yeah, and, and they can, uh, and it's also cheaper for shipping. Well, not cheaper. There's actually it's faster for shipping, right? So and and it's also a unique product that no one else will be selling. So there's local relationships that I that I really think that it's appropriate to start building, and that will give you an advantage and a head start against all your competitors that are. That, uh, that I mean, when there's a pandemic, right? Like right now, uh, their business can't really operate because they're depending on people overseas. Um, and God knows what kind of limitations there is uh, when it's not, when, when, when they're not living the same reality as you are. Yeah. Um, for platforms to outsource, um, obviously there are, the, there are businesses like uh, uh, Freelancer uh, where you could find uh, good people to do some work for you at a, at a, at a reasonable rate. Um, I would stay away from Fiverr, just a personal uh, preference, um, mm -hmm. uh, mainly because of where they're operating from uh, locally. Um, and um, then there are, um, then there's, uh, oh, by the way, the word that I forgot about are partners or the caterers and the other ones are co-packers, right? Co-packers, okay. So, so co-packers are the kinds of, if you Google for local, I mean, if you search around for local co-packers, um, you will find people some products that are being created uh, in-house or locally in, in, in wherever you're based. And um, and they could uh, private label those products for you, right? So put your brand, adapt the product to fit your needs. Um, okay. And then there's, uh, for, for order fulfillment, there's uh, something called 3PL or fulfillment networks, right? Which is basically a warehouse that you ship your products to and they're in charge of of send of sending the products from their warehouse to your customers. Okay, now, 3PL. Yeah, 3PL and uh, or or more commonly known as uh, order fulfillment networks or whatever. Order fulfillment networks. So even when you're in the e-commerce business, you can send it to these companies like 3PL and they'll package you you send them the order and they package it for you and and yeah. send it to the customer. Yeah. So amazing. The, the reason why it's very good it's because um, they have cheaper shipping rates than you do. Right. So once you once you put in the labor cost of, of packing and shipping, the material cost of buying boxes, bubble wrap, um, 
the fact that let's just say because we are smaller than Amazon or whatever, we do not have as good shipping rates as they do. But once you right. once you once you bulk up all of these companies, all of these smaller companies and our and our three PL partner, they're able to drastically cut on shipping where it becomes cheaper to partner up with them than doing everything on your own. Yeah. That makes sense. Exactly. And, and because it, it frees you up to actually focus on, again, what we talked about, which is what you're great at, which is running the business. Every And yeah, every owner should strive to be in a position where they can just focus on long-term strategy and on business growth. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if, you, if you're not actually inside the business working day-to-day on the minor tasks. But when you're starting off, we understand. I mean, I completely understand I'm in the same position and I was in the same position where I kind of had to do everything myself. And it was only when I got to a certain income level that I was able to start outsourcing and building a team. Um, I have a, I have a, a fun question for you, Rami. And it's, uh, let me see if I can share my screen here for you because I actually really want to show this. It's, it would be really fun. One second. I want to show this to everyone here. And, and I, wanna, I have a question for you about this. It's going to be really fun. Let me see if I can share my screen here for you. All right. Awesome. We can. So this is going to be the first time we do this on this podcast and I'm going to go ahead and do that. All right. So this oh, is, wow. I'm on, I'm on your website. I'm on your website right now. This is custom heats and you have a bottle on here that I don't want to talk about because I think it's super fun. You have a bottle of pre-made hot sauce called the most expensivest $100 hot sauce, which contains, uh, I don't know if I can zoom in here, but it contains truffle 24 carat edible gold, 15-year-old modern balsamic vinegar. What was the idea behind creating a $100 hot sauce? And I personally love the idea. The other products on the website, of course, are not that expensive. They range between $10 to $20. But this is a bottle that you guys made for fun. What was the idea behind that? And are you actually selling this bottle? The uh, most expensive is $100 hot sauce uh, comes from uh, our way of finding quick and easy ways of going viral. Right. So it didn't cost us anything to put this product on our website. It's actually one of the most viewed products on our website. And uh, we maybe sold uh, half a dozen, maybe a bit more. Wow. But um, but I mean, the, the buzz that it generated brought us regular sales, right? So... So it was it was one of those strategies that you used to go viral, which is to create something like the most expensive is one hundred dollar hot sauce, twenty four carat edible gold. Can how is that like people can eat gold? I didn't even know that was a thing. By the way, how does that work? It's uh, it's uh, I mean we we whenever we have this uh, whenever we get the hundred dollar uh, uh, hot sauce order, we 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 actually always facepalm and we're like, first of all, who's buying this? Second of all, <laughs> how are we going to fulfill this? Right. And, uh, you could actually buy on Amazon. Um, well, it's uh, gold sheets, edible gold sheets. They're 24 karat and it's a bit expensive. Uh, and it, but you're, it's like gold and you actually see it in the in the food whenever you I mean, there's there's other restaurants that do this sometimes. OK. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy. But it generated a lot of buzz for on our end. Um, we it's hard to track the amount of regular sales that it brought us. But I mean, when we look at the amount of people that click on this product, they probably send it to their friends. Um, and, uh, and I mean, it really didn't cost anything at all. And we actually make money whenever we sell it. We make and money. it's such a good market. Like when I saw it, when I went on your website and I saw that, I was like, oh my God, this is such a good idea. Like these are the ideas that you need as an e-commerce business guys. Like you need to have these unique twists on these products. You need to have this unique touch and you need to make it fun. You need to make it entertaining. Like when I saw this, I was like, man, this looks like a fun company. I am so down. What is even a 
edible gold and I'm so curious about it that I'm tempted to buy it right now and I probably will. Now I have a question <laughs> for you, Rami. Um, and, and usually we do this uh, with all of our guests. We have three powerful and unique questions to put them on the spot before we dive to the audience Q&A guys. So whoever's watching right now, uh, I know we already have a lot of questions in the comments, but if you still have any more that you'd like to ask Rami, okay? If, if any questions in your mind in regards to e-commerce, going viral, starting a product business, getting an investment, go ahead and drop them in the comments so I can ask Rami, inshallah. But before we dive in, I have three questions for you, my man. Number one, what was the biggest challenge you had to overcome in growing this custom heats business? What was the biggest challenge, the one that really kind of you struggled with and, and you had to face and overcome? And how did you overcome it? Hmm, interesting. Uh, the first part I would say is um, whenever, uh, because our business started off and it, it we, well, we, we started off with viral exposure, right? So it was the massive blogs that we got that wrote about us that brought us our first sales. Mm -hmm. um, any form of online exposure ends up dying down after a couple of couple of days, maybe a week or two. Right. So um, we were in a weird spot where we knew we were onto something, but um, it wasn't sustainable always chasing after blogs to write about us, right? Or or have them discover us. Now usually it's a chain. It's a it's a chain of effects. Uh, it's a sorry. It's a it's a chain, right? Where yeah. as soon as someone writes about us, another company will write up, will, will end up discovering about us and then writing about us. But um, at some point, I think um, between after now this and when we pitched on Dragon's Den, right? We Dragon's Den took maybe a couple of months before airing. We had a period of, of time where no, we didn't have any blogs or videos uh, being made about us, and our sales were kind of drying up because, I mean, once people stop talking about you, it's it kind of slows down. So we were in a place where we had to know that if we if we truly have a business model, then we need to find a way to get a steady flow of sales, mm -hmm. and that's really because as long as I mean, we didn't know what our customer acquisition cost was. And as soon as you don't know what your customer acquisition cost is, it's impossible to know how you're going to scale your business, right? Uh, you need to, I mean, the way I mean, I, as I said, I have a bit of a computer science background and um, and I once had a control systems class where I didn't take out, a, I didn't learn a lot of, from that class because I didn't attend the class too, uh, too many times. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but there's something that really stuck up with me is that there's something called a black box that has an in, a, a specific input and a desired output. And what you need to do, and, and as a business, um, we should remember what the inputs are external factors. A lot of them are, uh, there's just a, there's a market size and, and you need to, you need to fit those market needs in order to get your desired output, which is ideally a great product and profit. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, we wanted to scale our business, but we were missing the key data, which is how much does it cost for us to get a customer? Um, because if we do not know how much it costs for us to get a customer, then really we're just freestyling our way to our first million dollars in sales, yeah. uh, which is never the good uh, feeling. So because um, there, I mean, it's impossible to predict and there's too many factors that do not depend on you. So uh, the most the difficult aspect I think was uh, uh, budgeting as a startup with a bit of money from our previous sales, but not knowing how to keep growing and scaling. So this is why we partner up with 
um, <clears throat> I mean, we, we we tried to partner up with um, with uh, Facebook ad specialists that were not as successful as our friend Abby here, who is a magician <laughs> when it comes to Facebook ads. <laughs> and we did do some mistakes because we ended up uh, sometimes trusting people, well, not trusting ourselves, so trusting other people. And those people were um, maybe not as skilled as we are, right? So I think yeah. the first thing that we need to remember is that I mean, there's there's always something called imposter syndrome, where yeah. where you think that you're not the most fit to do something because of X and Y reasons, and that you think that other people are better better um, that they are better better suited to do certain tasks than you are. But I think what's important to know is is that the bit of success that your business has is mainly because of your decisions and what you were able to what you were able to overcome. And the six and and I think that you need to trust yourself and and uh, know what kind of what, what your abilities are. And so what we ended up doing was I started managing my own Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the person that we hired was giving us a $17 customer acquisition cost, which is way too expensive for our market and based on our profit margins. And I think as I mean, with 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 my imposter syndrome and uh, and a bit of stress and a bit of and hard work, we were, I was able to bring down the customer acquisition cost to twelve dollars between eight and twelve dollars, which is a lot more encouraging. Yeah, which, which allows me to invest a lot more money, knowing that I will get more sales. So I think that um, uh, fighting imposter syndrome, right? Um, trusting yourself is one of the most challenging parts. Knowing that like you should tackle problems head first. And yeah. that you're the best suited person to challenge, and but without also being having that tunnel vision, I think that's kind of fi yeah finding the balance between uh, fighting head first and not having tunnel vision, and uh, yeah that's it. One hundred percent. Okay, so let me let me recap a few things because you you said a lot of you dropped a lot of gold, and I just want to clarify again because some some people in the group might not know what customer acquisition cost is. So if you guys don't know, so customer acquisition cost is how much does it cost for you to acquire a paying client? So in Rami's case, for his online store, how much does it cost for him to get someone to buy his bottles? So it's important to keep in mind when you have an e-commerce store, your customers don't just pop in for free. People don't just go on your website and buy, I mean, magically, like they need to learn about you from somewhere. It can be organically through uh, viral media, like Rami here with Custom Heat said, but then at some point he had to also transition to paid, which is running ads for his e-commerce. And the challenge was how much does it cost in advertising for us to get a paying client? And that's what he's talking about. He initially tried hiring a Facebook ads agency. They had a really high customer acquisition cost. He then tried to do it himself with my mentorship and help Rami shout out on that. And that was able to lower it by a ton. <laughs> and it was awesome. And I'm happy that you were able to get massive results. And I remember you reaching out to me and you're telling me, I'm just starting off and you know, I hired an agency right away. And I, and I remember telling you like, if you're just starting off, just try to do it yourself and I'll give you some pointers on how you can do it. You don't need to hire an agency right away until you're at a certain level. Um, so that handle that worked out. So really important lesson here, guys, especially if you're starting your business, make sure that you know what it takes to get a paying client. Okay, make sure that you know how much does it cost for me to get a paying client? How much can I do I invest in my business to get someone to pay me back with for my services? And when you know that, that allows you to know, okay, how can I scale? What are my profit margins? And a bunch of other data that will allow you to run your business smoothly. I'm gonna ask you one more question and then we're gonna dive into Q&A just because there's at least 
like 20 questions in the comments. Like people are dying to ask so many questions, Rami. So I want to dive into this, but um, I'm going to ask you one last question here. Okay. Normally I ask three, but I'm going to give you two. Uh, and it's, if you could meet Rami from three years ago, the Rami that before he started Custom Heats, the one that was just going to Concordia University and uh, <laughs> an active supporter of Palestinian efforts. Shout out to Palestine. We have to do a shout out to Palestine on this podcast for the sake of Rami. He is Palestinian. Please make sure to support the Palestinians and give your zakat as well. This is the time of Ramadan. Make sure that you support the Palestinians, inshallah. They are always in need of your help. So if you could meet Rami from three years ago when you first started and you could tell him one thing, that would that would maybe help him out or, or give him some sort of uh, confidence boost. What would that one thing be? Um, <clears throat> um, I think that um, <clears throat> it's important to trust the process. I think mm -hmm. that's the one thing that I would have uh, that I that I think it's important to remind Rami from three years ago and, and the Rami of today is that um, is that first of all I I know Custom Heats is not my last business that I'll be involved in and. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. I'll be working on something even better in the future, hopefully, inshallah. Inshallah, but, yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is that um, um, there's some very high highs and sometimes very low lows, and the high the the high highs come from the low lows, right? Yeah, it's true. Uh, and yeah. I think what it means is that uh, when I was uh, three years ago. Um, I was kind of stressed out because I was um, my mandate at my student union position was ending, not knowing where my my steady income will be coming from, um, paying back tuition from uh, the years of student debt that I that I uh, that I gathered, and I think that there's this kind of stress where where uh, things are not happening as fast as you want it to happen. Yeah, um, but always. the thing is, is that there's a there's the person that you there's there's the there's the, the person that you are, right, um, as an individual. And uh, that person comes from the entire life experience that you've had ever since you were born. Yeah. And um, I think that you we've developed into being this this entrepreneur that if it wouldn't have been custom, he said, I've been, if I wouldn't have been in my room that day where I kind of got this epiphany of starting a hot sauce business and I was somewhere else chilling with friends or whatever, I think that the the business comes from me less than it is the idea, mm -hmm. and it's less about it's more about who I am as an entrepreneur, the person that I am, the person, the type of mistakes that I've done in the past that have guided me into being the person that I am today. And if things are not going well right now, or like like three years ago or whatever, trust that something will happen if you keep putting in the efforts, right? So I think it's it's more about. I mean, we, when we were talking about the soft skills, right? I mm -hmm. mean, if, if you're failing 20 times pitching at investors, I mean, this is a quote from uh, from Ford that I've uh, that I've that I've discovered recently watching a little documentary, which is about uh, where he mentions, um, "I didn't fail. I found a thousand works that a thousand ways that don't work." Yeah. Right. And I think that uh, that kind of that kind of I mean, it's it's the kind of I mean, we will. I think yeah. So. Everything will take time. Develop your personal skills and keep your eyes open for opportunities. They'll come to you and yeah. you'll need to go grab them.
100%. And when you mentioned trust the process, because it's such an important reminder, guys. And again, it happens to all of us as entrepreneurs. It happens to myself and, and my business, which is sometimes we experience lows. We experience times where things are a little bit slower. We're a bit low on motivation or things might not be working out as fast as we'd like. We might not be making money as fast as we'd like. It's important to trust the process and to keep going at it. It's only by constantly trying new things and by failing that you will find the way to success. Amazing advice, Rami. Let's go ahead and dive into the audience Q&A. All right, we have a bunch of questions here. I'm, I don't want to keep the audience waiting longer. Um, let's go ahead and dive in. One more minute. Can I go for it, go for it, go for it. Just one minute. So um, I was I, <laughs> earlier, in the, earlier in the live, I was talking about finding ways to repurpose a product in order to go viral. Yes. And I found the perfect product. Uh, that makes you remind me of of someone that I have a, I mean, look, it's 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 debatable whether I respect them or envy them or 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 find them a bit greedy or whatever. But there's a product called a pet rock. I don't know if you've ever heard of this product. I have never heard of a pet rock. Please enlighten me. Okay, so <clears throat> basically, there's a guy in the United States. I'm assuming it's the United States. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, it's usually where it comes out of. It's it's usually where these kinds of products come out of. It's called a pet rock, and it's a guy who went in his garden. 30 years ago, God knows how many years ago, but took rocks from his garden, put them in a box, put a paper in the box that that uh, describes how you should treat your pet rock, right? How should you how should you raise your pet rock and how to take care of your pet rock? Okay. And, and this person, I mean, a rock costs maybe like 10 cents. I don't know, like it doesn't Bro, cost anything. Not even one cent, but not yes. One cent <laughs> and a piece of paper that you've put into that that it was like a tiny, like, I mean, you know, I don't know, like 10 by 10 paper, uh, centimeter paper. That's maybe like five cents. And then he put in a nice box that was maybe $2. And he sold that pet rock for like $25 and sold like millions of dollars worth. Wow. And, and I think that like, you know, you, you don't, I mean, ideally you'll innovate and find the product that will, that will, uh, that will save humanity or whatever. But if you don't, that's also fine because if a guy was able to take rocks from his, from his, from his garden, package it in a way where, I mean, the people that ended up buying the pet rock bought it because they didn't want to have a cat at home that was too much of a responsibility. And people found it cute to have a little rock that you could walk around your house. And it doesn't, I mean, you can't- <laughs> How do you walk around a rock though? Like, could you put it on like a toy RC car and, and take it for rides? What do, you, what do you do with that? It was 1980s, right? So you probably had it in your hand or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So honest, and, and it's funny because these are the ideas I always find like these are it's really the simplest ideas that go viral. And so guys, like sometimes you're, you're going to come up with an idea. You're going to put it in the back of your mind because it's not good. But trust me, maybe hold on to that idea and, and just give it, give, it the, give it room to marinate. And it could be a revolutionary idea, just like the pet rock from <laughs> that Rami just showcased right now. <laughs> All right, Rami, let's dive into some audience Q&A. We have our audience that are fighting to get your answers for the questions inshallah so let's go ahead and dive in we have over 20 questions here um so one of them is what was your and i think we answered that which is what was your challenge when you were beginning in the hot sauce industry uh but i think we tackled that when i said what was the biggest challenge you had to overcome is there anything else you want to add on to that or um, more particular to the hot sauce industry right um i would say that um hmm. In the hot, well, it's it's less about particularly in the in the hot sauce industry, and it's more of being a Canadian company shipping to American customers. Uh, yeah, and and that's uh, I mean, there's there's challenges because there's you you have to pass customs, 
right? So that's always a little headache. And then the other thing is shipping is super expensive because you're dealing with Canada Post and, U- and USPS and each of these uh, agencies want to get their little cut of the shipping costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would also say uh, when you were beginning the hot sauce industry, one of the challenges is um, it's uh, knowing that you need to ship. So basically in the hot sauce industry, there's different types of hot sauces. There are some things sold for less than five dollars, like Sriracha and Frank's Red Hot. You know, like those those um, yeah, these mass-produced um, uh, hot sauces. But then there's also the more gourmet sauce that are that are at twelve, thirteen, fourteen dollars US do- US dollars, and this is the price point that we're at. We're at five fifteen dollars, and I think that okay. um, when people you're, you're you're dealing with a community of people when you're in the five fifteen dollar price range that have tried. Uh, um, these very like typical gourmet sauces that are that are that are that are very good in quality and we are in an industry where we need to match that quality and match those expectations because mm. we need to know that we need people to know that we're not a gimmick right we're not a, a company where you just customize your own hot sauce whether you like it or not it doesn't really matter we need to have these repeat orders so we need to know that people have a certain expectation from us and we need to, to meet that so it's balancing out uh, i mean uh, having that viralness being somewhat of a gimmick and um, and actually having a very good product, right? So, and, and you're competing because, as you mentioned, you're competing with Frank's, Riacha. These are like companies that can afford to sell their bottles for five dollars or less, and you have to to remain profitable, sell your bottles at at least fifteen dollars or more. And so you're competing with more gourmet sauces, and that was the challenge. So you over, how did you overcome that? Is it is it by really making sure that you have the best possible tasting product every time? So, so what we ended up make, making sure is that, well, first of all, we partner up with people that are in uh, 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 chefs and uh, to, to develop uh, proprietary recipes that are that are going to meet the quality standards and expectations of our customers. Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of R and D, and well, R and D. I mean, that's uh, food R and D related to this. Um, we needed to. Uh, do a lot of trial and errors, and as we mentioned earlier, uh, talk to our customers and have the necessary feedback so that we can know where to improve on. Right, and the, and and that's again the key part of the process of making an amazing product, delivering an amazing service, is getting customer feedback, uh, which is amazing. I'm glad we were able to answer that question, inshallah, and I hope you enjoyed the answer. Let's go ahead and dive into the next one, which is. How do you keep the momentum in the hot sauce industry? So how do you keep your momentum in the hot sauce industry, knowing that there are a lot of newbies coming in with new concepts and packaging? So there's new competitors also coming in every day to that industry. How do you kind of keep your winning edge? So um, the basically, um, there are there's every every day. You, I mean, if you go on Instagram right now and you type hot sauce, the hashtag hot sauce, you'll find there's a new company every day being created with like. Uh, like their first post was today, yeah. Uh, and there's this is um, this 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 is encouraging uh, for many reasons. The first one is that it's an indicator that uh, the hot sauce industry is um, is uh, is still trending. And but also we need to understand that um, there's something called healthy competition. Mm. And okay. That, uh, first of all, I don't think I would have invented a, the, cust- the first customized hot sauce if it wasn't for the fact that the industry was already extremely competitive in the first place. So the competition is there uh, not to take, I mean, ideally in a, in a, in a, in a, in the proper environment, the, the industry is not meant to, competition is not meant to put down businesses to the ground, but to make sure that we're all at our highest form, 
and that we that we're never complacent. So I would say that the best way is to just understand that your I mean every year could be our last year, and that we should never be complacent, and that we should keep with our uh, we we should I mean we found we should keep up doing what we were um, or we should keep we should keep going on our early successes, which right. is going for viral media, going for viral attention, and we need to keep doing this. And there's a place, I mean, I like to believe that in the market, there's a place for everyone, every type of concept. I don't want anybody to lose their business, uh, but we should, we, should, we should stay focused into what we were doing, not get distracted either by the other market trends in the industry, focusing on the customized aspect. Um, I mean, I mean we, we were talking a lot about our custom orders. I mean, there's people ordering one bottle, but now we just got a couple of leads yesterday for people that want to buy over 5,000 bottles. Wow, amazing. So the thing is, is that we kind of know where we're positioned in the market. We like to stick to where we are at. We're satisfied with, I mean, we're never satisfied. We should always uh, look for growth, but 100%. we know where, we know where we're, we're, we're staying within certain boundaries of our business. Um, okay. Not getting distracted. Amazing. So you're, you're focusing on what you do best, really. Like you, you started with a vision, you started with some sort of direction in your business and you keep focusing on that and you have tunnel vision on being the best possible at that specific thing, which in your case is the custom hot sauce aspect. Um, let's go ahead and dive into the next one. And then uh, I'll, I'll maybe also add some. So this is kind of rapid fire Q&A because of the fact that we have over 20 questions. And inshallah, I want to make sure to get to all of them, guys. So if you still have questions, drop them in the comments right now, because this is when you get all the answers from Rami, guys. You won't get another opportunity like this to ask him your questions live. So go ahead and do it. Uh, let's go ahead and continue with this rapid fire Q&A. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into what was the most notable challenge you faced upon launching this company? So specifically the launch aspect, right? Going from idea to actual business. What was that like and what was your challenge there? Um, so as I, um, I mean, I, 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 I didn't cover this too much, but uh, I, I, um, there's something called rapid prototyping. Okay. okay. So um, before trying custom heats, I started more businesses that I can count. Um, okay. My work, of course. Um, so basically, in the concept of rapid prototyping, is creating a prototype very, very fast and seeing if it'll catch on. So the the most notable challenge, well, I wouldn't say they are the ones within Custom Heats, but they are the dozens of businesses uh, of of business that I started that didn't catch on. So there's an approach in rapid prototyping. You build a prototype, you build a website, you build an Instagram account, and our business took off literally the day that we started Instagram. The, the, the day after we started Instagram. So um, so in the early days, I would say that it's just developing the proper methodology to master the art of rapid prototyping. Okay, amazing. Rapid prototyping, that's an interesting concept that you bring up. Uh, and it's really, once you have an idea, being super quick to implement it, to see if it's going to work, testing it with the market. How, and and as, does that really involve just kind of putting the idea out there. So creating social media channels and, and seeing what the response is, or is there any, any other things that you have to do in this process? Uh, can you repeat that, sorry? So when it comes to the rapid prototyping process, yeah. is it just a matter of creating social media channels and putting that idea out there to see how people respond? Or is there an additional aspect of it, an, an extra piece of it that you need to do? There's, uh, well, basically uh, it's getting quick feedback from your customers, right? So okay. uh, if it's, if um, in our case it was a quick it was a quick Instagram account, um, 
we we weren't on Shopify. I mean, one of the questions is whether we're on Magento or Shopify. When we first yeah. started, we, we weren't on we weren't on uh, Shopify. We were on Magento, which is a lot harder to do rapid prototyping. But right now with Shopify, you can literally have a business off the ground in less than in half a day. Right? Yeah. So so I mean, it could also be that way. It's just harder to get traffic. So social media, I think, is always the best way to just quickly find feedback of your business. Okay. So, but if you are in the business of of if you're in the robotics business, it might be just getting a quick Arduino prototype. Um, if you if you're in the repackaging business, then it could be of just uh, getting a product, changing the the label, changing the the the, um, the packaging, and attending a trade show. Right. Right. If, do you get sales? Yes. You don't get sales. Cancel. But I think that it's. I mean, depending on your financial situation, uh, never take a risk that is too big. Right. Just try to budget. Um, being able to do five rapid prototype tests with the money that you have. And I completely agree with that strategy. I see a lot of entrepreneurs making the mistake of coming up with an idea of, for their business and then taking like five to six to 12 months building that idea before they ever put the word out there or put something out on social media, on a website that people can actually see and get and give you feedback on. And I think that's a huge mistake because you're spending 12 months, six months on a product, on a business idea without you ever knowing if it's actually in demand, if people actually want are interested in your product and your services. So I think the rapid prototype strategy is an amazing strategy. It is also the one that I recommend 100% in our programs. Let's dive into the next one, which is, do you have a real physical store or is it only online based at the moment? Um, so right now we're we're mostly just focusing on online, mainly because um, well all of our customers are in the United States. Well, most of our customers are in the United States, and um, <clears throat> over fifty percent of our business comes from bulk wholesale orders that are coming from all over the world. So we we do not want to. I mean, we we've considered an online store. That's right, a, a physical brick and mortar store. Okay. But I think that. Um, uh, I mean, the, uh, the uh, pandemic uh, made things a lot more difficult. We were supposed to partner up with uh, Abby uh, to do trade shows all over the yes. summer and these festivals. Yeah. And unfortunately, <laughs> I don't think it will be possible. Um, and maybe that's also, um, maybe, I mean, there's there's something called um, a silver lining, right? Or a yeah. blessing in disguise where um, maybe this is a, a, a sign that we should actually just focus on online where mm -hmm. we, are, we have a m much more control. Um, this, I mean, in, in situations where there's barely anything that we can control, right? So there's, the factors are much more in our, in our favor, uh, focusing on online. So right yeah, for now, we're just a uh, rapid fire answer. We're only working. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Let's continue with that rapid fire Q&A. Guys, drop your questions in the comments. I have, I'm gonna skip to the end just for one quick question, which is a lot of people are asking this and a lot of people wanna try your hot sauce, Rami. I'm going to drop the link in the comments, guys. Mm -hmm. um, but do you, uh, let me, is this hot sauce available in the UK? I, this is like the third time I get this question, Rami. Do you guys ship to the UK? We do ship to the UK. We ship to Denmark. We ship to Australia, New Zealand. We ship to anywhere. And if for some reason, um, I mean, it's obviously not the most profitable to ship to the UK, but that's fine. This is not the, we were here to sh spread our love to the Oma and spread our love of hot sauce to the entire world. Yeah. So um, if, if for some reason you're having an issue at checkout for uh, UK sales, you shouldn't. But if you do just message me, we have a, 
um, a, little, a little message box, a little chat box, and I'll be more than happy to answer you and have a little chat there too if you want. Amazing. So you have it. You can see the face behind the company, guys. So go ahead and order your hot sauces for Ramadan. And by the way, these could also make amazing gifts for Eid. I mean, if you guys are going to a friend's house, you're going to a family's house, and you're thinking of, Aman, what can I give as a Eid gift? I think a pretty unique thing is to customize a hot sauce for them. And you can even upload a custom label, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Rami? Yeah, absolutely. And you could, yeah, you you could customize your own label and pretty much put anything on there. We have had some very funny stuff being put on our labels recently. And <laughs> we always have a great laugh when we're when we're uh, when we're out there looking at our orders. So you could also have a, a little typical Happy Ramadan uh, label, or I mean, there's people from the UK here. So if you want to put your little football team's logo on it or whatever, as long as it's not for commercial use, I mean, we're more than happy to print it for you. Amazing. So you not only can customize the hot sauce, guys, you heard it right here on the live podcast. You can customize your labels. So there's no reason to delay. Head over to Custom Heats. I dropped it in the comments and place those orders so that they're shipped in time for Eid. And you can put on there Eid Mubarak. Uh, you can put on there Ramadan Mubarak, whatever label you want, which is amazing. Let's do a few more questions. Inshallah, I really hope that we can dive into all of them. Um, and I just want to thank Rami again for giving us his time uh to share so much value with us today here's the question how fast you okay so how fast did you grow and how did you manage your stock so theirs is in the bedroom so how did you manage your stock at first when it came to the bottles the hot sauces that you were shipping out before you now i know now you, you mentioned you have fulfillment centers but before that how did you do it um so basically um we, we all we i wouldn't call them necessarily mistakes right but we when we first started we had the some uh, sourcing hiccups where we didn't get the best pricing we were partnering up with a company called uline which is uh good for maybe bigger companies that don't that are a bit less cost sensitive and they prefer to have a proper distribution uh, process to uh, get to secure their, their their inventory but in our case where we were much smaller uh, we thought it made much more sense to uh, stock up our inventory through companies like Dominion and Grimm which is a local company in Canada and maybe the United States but uh, I don't think it's too appropriate for people in Europe uh, so I think that um, um, managing your so basically there's i will i'll answer at this question by talking about managing your inventory costs right okay so cost standpoint um i think that um there's a balance that we need to find into undercutting and cutting your cost as much as possible and um balancing it out with focusing on increasing your revenues as well right so as much as we need to get our costs down as little as possible um we shouldn't have that tunnel vision where um i mean there's there's this kind of, of we need to we, we need to have a streamlined process where i'm not going to start making my bottles myself to cut on costs either right right, right. and you want you want to make sure it's quality like you want to make sure that there's a certain quality standard so how did you balance that out and how did so, you manage so, it uh, so basically i think that um to, to balance it out, I think that um, you can, our, our customers are, I mean, we're selling a $15 product, right? And most of our cost there is not even our product costs. It's not the hot sauce bottle. It's not the our, our ingredients. The most, the reason why we're selling it at $15 is because the shipping costs in the first place. Okay, so shipping so, is the biggest cost. So the shipping is our biggest cost. And this, well, it's, uh, it's a double-edged sword where uh, to cut on, to 
to cut on shipping, you need to have a lot of volume. To have a lot of volume, you need you need to have better profit margins that you can invest more in marketing and scale up your sales. So it's like a chicken and the egg where basically you need an injection of cash to increase sales, decrease shipping costs, which will secure you more profits. So uh, that's kind of uh, the hiccup over here. And it's, I mean, we're not the only one with this challenge. Pretty much everyone in, who's in the um, business of selling uh, physical products will have this uh, challenge. And then there's partnering up with fulfillment centers that makes this process a lot easier. Uh, managing my inventory, well, we were blessed to have a garage in the early days of our business. And um, I mean, we still have a bit of hot sauce in there and bottles in there. But uh, now um, I think we've answered the question when we were talking about how we fulfill our orders. Uh, we're, yeah. we're, we're dealing with caterers and co-packers. And thankfully, uh, they, 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 we, we trust them in their abilities to challenge these tasks better than we did. Right. Amazing. So you kind of, again, you kind of had it in your garage and you were sending it out yourself, but you were also looking for constantly looking for ways to, to find people that you could maybe rely on or companies they could rely on to fulfill these orders for you at a reasonable cost. And that's how you were able to manage it. Quick question. What has worked for you in terms of online marketing? I know this is a huge question. Uh, we could talk about it for hours, but if we were to kind of just keep it a bit simple, marketing strategy, what is it like? Do you guys advertise on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook? Is it just organic content? What do you really do? So uh, we, uh, I, I, in the early days, we relied on uh, on on media, right? So just, I mean, we we were on. Um, just to give you guys a bit of an idea, when we started Instagram, we got Urban Daddy. Urban Daddy gave us Rachel Ray and Time Out Magazine. After Time Out Magazine, this is this is a really funny story where, um, I'm a very big supporter of the Palestinian cause, and now this, which is a um, which is an online media platform which covers the news, had a had surprisingly a very pro-palestinian a video on their platform and i was super intrigued because i was like this is very rare to see the media humanize palestinians and i was like i i'm pretty sure i probably know someone who knows the producer that made this video so i went on and uh, this was in the time where now this started putting credits at the end of their videos on who was the producer and everything okay and i and i searched up the the, the producer of this video on facebook and i was like i have eight mutual friends with this person. And it was because I was involved in the Palestinian in the in student organizing and Palestinian organizing on campuses. So I we had eight, I had eight mutual friends and I messaged every single one of these eight mutual friends and I asked them, I just started this hot sauce business. Can you hook a brother up and put me in contact with her so that we so I could possibly have the possibility of having a video on now this. And then um, I my I had a good friend who put me in contact with her. She put me in contact with the producer, uh, with the now this food producer, and uh, and then uh, I didn't hear back from the now this food producer for like two weeks, and then she messages me back and she's like, uh, my the, the the girl who did the podcasting video, and she was like, um, uh, did she did she follow up with you? Like, is everything all right? And I was like, hey, sorry, I have no news, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. Thank you for trying. And then she's like, oh, don't worry, I'll get her to call you tomorrow. And then the next day, I just get a message from Now This Food being like, hey, I just discovered your business. Can we cover it? Can we do a video for you guys on Now This Food? We got 800,000 views from it. Wow, um, 800,000 views. Yeah, and like- Amazing. I, this was like, I think it was like a few months before Dragon's Den, right? So let's just say five months into our business. Then we got uh, Shopify Studios uh, that did a podcast with us and a video. So this was kind of, we, we, we rely a lot on viral marketing on, well, somewhat of- um, of um, on just uh, media coverage. Media then, coverage, right. Then there's also Facebook and Instagram, uh, which is uh, we find extremely powerful. 
but I mean, again, I think that like as much as I, I know what works for my business, but again, I, I, don't, I, I hate plugging my friend Abby whenever I can, but I feel <laughs> like I really have to, um, for anything, uh, for online marketing questions. Really, I mean, I, my success on online marketing might be uh, based on a bit of luck and hard work, but again, I think uh, Abby is better placed to know uh, all the different media strategies and he consults me a lot on uh, on uh, ways on 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 different marketing avenues that could work for my business online, and, and and his advice always ends up working out for us. I appreciate the shout out, my man. And you guys heard it, heard it right here on the podcast. So if you're looking for marketing strategies, if you're looking for advice when it comes to your online marketing, uh, go ahead and reach out to me, and I'll I'll give you some tips, inshallah, and maybe invite you to join our program where it actually dives into all of it for you. So let's go ahead and dive into the next rapid fire question, which is okay. No, that one we did. I apologize. Let me go ahead and pull up this one here, which is okay. So this is a, a very specific question, but I, I still want to give the person a chance to get an answer. So hopefully inshallah, they're still tuned in. Which one is better starting a small business by reselling specific herbs product with a specific profit scheme? So a, a herbs based product or doing my own business on selling snacks, foods to my friends and colleagues. I've done both, but the last seems to has ha, seems to have a better cash flow. The problem is I'm still doing everything by my own. Okay, so what this person is asking, and I like to always like to kind of resume it when it's along like this. Uh, hopefully, you guys drop me more questions, but make sure they're a bit more concise, inshallah, so I could give a give a straight question to my guest. So the the audience is asking here, what's better, selling a specific herbs based product or selling snacks, foods to my friends and colleagues? And of course, I mean, in my opinion, if you're selling to friends and colleagues, that's fun, but it's it can't really scale. <laughs> you need something that can scale and you can acquire new customers. What do you think about that, Rami? Um, I think that uh, validation from friends and family uh, should be used as a as a motivation, maybe. Um, okay. And also good to get their feedback. But again, um, um, I mean, depending on how deep your your, your friends and family's pockets are, it's <laughs> very hard to turn this into a multi-million dollar business. And the yeah. best way to do this is by uh, selling to customers that you don't even know and that you'll need to pay to get them. So I yeah. think that um, cash flow wise, and this is something that, uh, that uh, we did early on in our business, and I'm very grateful that we did this. Uh, when we ended up, when we were uh, looking for the best way to price our product, we were not looking at we we took into consideration because first of all, no none of your customers want to know that want to see the cost of their product triple in price over the span of a year because right. you didn't plan out the fact that you'll be shipping to Canada and that you need to spread the cost over to the customers by putting your price now at $15 instead of $4. So um, I think that you should, whenever, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i a bit going beyond your question over here, but I think that whenever you're, whenever you're selling your, 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 your snack foods to your friends and family, make sure that you're selling it not at the price where you would need to not deliver it yourself, but ship it through a courier and Putting in there the mm. technical cost of acquisition that you would have paid if it was if you if you didn't know them, because that's the that's the that's when you'll know whether your product actually works or not, right? Amazing. Uh, you're, you're selling snack foods, but if you're selling them five dollars because the guy's your friend and and he's your, your neighbor and you'll just deliver it to them, well, you can't really do this if you live in I don't know Liverpool and your customers in Birmingham. I don't even know how close or far these cities are, but <laughs> but I'm assuming you can't deliver it yourself and you'll have to pay a courier. Amazing um, answer. So so I think that like it's I mean right now it might seem like uh, selling snack foods to your friends and colleagues might be the most profitable, but uh, I think you would need to test the proper 
uh, selling point, and I know that maybe selling herbs might be might be way cheaper in shipping costs, right? Uh, I mean, herbs you could put them in a padded envelope, um, assuming it's legal herbs and whatever. But uh, you could um, you could uh, put it in a padded envelope and ship it out to your customer for a much cheaper cost. So I think that uh, there's there's different factors in, uh, that play around to know um, that play around to uh, to know what's the best way to uh, go forward with the business models and. Um, I just want to. Uh, can, do I have time for a little, uh, a little, uh, like a, like a little story? Go ahead. Go ahead. Shoot okay. it. So uh, basically, um, I had, a, I have a little friend who was studying accounting, and um, I was like maybe when I was 18 years old, and he's like, "Oh, Rami, I uh, have this great business story that I have to tell you that I've learned at school." And this story, I mean, like, I hate to admit that sometimes people tell me stories that change my life. And I will never tell this guy straight up in the eyes that his that little 10 second conversation that we had changed my entire life. But it was about it was a, a, a little story about uh, two guys in some town that were mandated to bring water to the city. Mm -hmm. uh, there is one guy in the city who would every day take a bucket, go to the lake, fill up the bucket with water and then break it to the city and would get paid $5 for every trip or whatever. Okay. And the other guy for six months didn't bring a single ounce of water to the city and instead was building a pipeline from the lake to the city. And then, uh, after six months, um, his pipeline was ready and he was ready to pump water back into the city. Um, after the six months, there was a little snowstorm, and uh, they both got very sick um, with a little with a little cold, and um, both people couldn't go to work that day. And the guy who had a pipeline set up was still able to bring water to the city, while the guy who would bring the the water through a bucket um, ended up missing out on some money that day because he couldn't fulfill his tasks. Right. So. Basically, when we're building a business, what we're ideally doing is building a pipeline that brings money. That sorry, that brings that brings water from the lake to the city, and, and brings you money. That brings you money. Yeah, so, exactly. So, so basically, uh, once you're once you're when you when you're building your business, you don't want to be that guy that is building what that is bringing water to the city. You need to be able to add into your product all the necessary costs that needs you to automate the process of your business. So if mm -hmm. you need to pay, um, if you, I mean, all of your labor costs that you anticipate in having have to be in your pricing or have to be part of your strategy to know, I mean, that it has to be part of the, of your pricing guide. Um, hundred so. percent. And, and I agree with that because a lot of people start off and they're like, okay, I'm doing it all my, my, myself. And so I can afford to charge super low prices, but you have to keep in mind if you move forward, um, and, and, and it comes time to start advertising and doing things like that, then your pricing probably won't work anymore and you're going to need to change it. So I think that's an amazing point. I don't think I've ever heard someone actually talking about that before, Rami. So I think it's very insightful and I thank you for that. We have, I think two or three more that we're going to dive into inshallah. Um, one is, and this is a great question because I think uh, it is 100% re relevant to your business, which is do you sell more products to businesses or directly to consumers? And do you think there's more money to be made selling to one versus the other? Which do you recommend? So um, uh, basically, I think that it's, it's a very touchy uh, situation where I think that you need to be placed to selling to both. And this is just my personal preference for uh, many, many reasons. The first one is that 
when you're doing B2B, it's a lot easier to cut yourself out of the competition, right? So people can, um, there's other businesses that are there that are that are able to grab a, to grab their piece of the pie. And it's uh, harder to keep that relationship sometimes. But once you're doing direct to consumer, you build a brand and that brand, you're the sole owner of it. Nobody could take this away from you. Okay. So um, I think it's important to do both because, I mean, we're seeing this right now. Right now, the wholesale industry is doing a bit poorly across the world because, well, people are now aware that their products can be sourced directly to AliExpress, Alibaba, where they don't need to buy from a wholesaler anymore. And dropshipping is pretty much what revolutionized the industry and, and killed regular the regular business model of buying from a retailer that buys from a wholesaler, that buys from a distributor, that buys from an agent, that buys from a manufacturer in, in China, right? So you want to be able to be a lot more modular to protect yourself from any any case. I mean, you need to anticipate that some of your, of your revenue streams will be cut due to competition and you need to be able to have a, a safety net or other, uh, I mean, be able to pivot in a way that is much easier. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I was just watching a little video yesterday about uh, an old Warren Buffett speech uh, at his uh, annual uh, shareholder meeting where he discussed about his about the reason why he prefers to invest in companies like Disney than um, Warner Media, or I forgot which other company he was talking about. And he said, when I invest in, in Disney, um, Mickey Mouse doesn't come up to me for a raise once the movie is doing super well, right? So, so basically, um, there's no leverage behind Mickey Mouse. I mean, the per that's a, it's just a little mouse out there that um, that uh, that doesn't really negotiate. It's just there. It's just it's Disney owns the entire brand out of it. But uh, when you're dealing with companies like um, Warner Media, and I know this a bit, I'm, I'm I'm deflecting a bit and deviating a tiny bit, but I think it's so yeah. the value where where uh, whenever whenever an actor is in a movie and does very, very well, the actor will end up using this as leverage and uh, cutting you out, right? Or, or maximizing their earnings. So to bring this back to the direct-to-consumer and uh, B2B, once you have that relationship directly to the customer, nobody could take this away from you, right? You own this. But once you're doing B2B, um, if for some reason you're charging a bit too much and um the other business is able to cut you out and find the, the direct uh, manufacturer then this uh then you your your i mean and the customer will not the customer will never notice that the middleman got caught out mm -hmm. and i think this is where it becomes a bit painful okay so and and but you still do if, if i remember correctly you still do bulk orders so if ever let's say someone wants to order a and you bring you brought up a good point which is it's important to have that relationship with consumers to build that brand awareness and make sure that you actually have something that you can sustain over long term and grow. Uh, and that that poses a challenge if you don't have that, if you just sell to businesses, because they can just kind of do it themselves. But you still also sell to companies that sometimes place orders for their employees and have custom labels done for events. Is that correct? Yeah, so so uh, that relationship. Um, so we have uh, customers that buy um, customer, uh, sorry, employee appreciation gifts. We we're working right now with an, a very very big artist. Um, let me see. No, they're not. They're, yeah. So they they have a, over 180 million views on YouTube, and we should be releasing this partnership very very soon, where they'll be buying hot sauce from us. Uh, so we do work this way too. But uh, the whole point of my uh, of my rant was to <laughs> was to 
to describe how you should always have multiple um, avenue streams so that if, okay. a, if a single one of them gets, gets cut out, you're still fine and your business is still standing. So right. um, I wouldn't say it's one or the other. Try to do both. Um, obviously there's, I mean, it's better to sell bulk to your customers, to your, to your businesses, because they'll end up buying thousands of bottles at a time and the margins are a bit smaller, but the profit in general on these orders are much bigger. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but it's like, stay humble, appreciate the $20 sales because this is where it brought you to your bigger sales. Right. So it's amazing. It's, uh, it's, uh, never, I mean, you, you know, your business model better but uh, never cut out a revenue stream because you feel it's um, because uh, one is easier to get and more profitable. Anyways. Amazing. I got it. I love it. And, and that's, I completely agree. Diversification. And they, you preach that everywhere, whether you're investing in the real estate market, whether you're investing in the stock market, whether you're starting a business, it's important to diversify your income sources and also diversify um, your channels when it comes to your brand awareness. Again, if you're doing Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, it's important to have a few channels that you can maintain so that if ever one, something happens to it, Facebook decides one day it doesn't want to have you reach your audience uh, through your Facebook page, which they decided to do that about a few years ago. Well, if you had Instagram, then you're still good, right? So diversify in as many channels as you can. Amazing advice. We'll do one more, Ami, and, and then we'll we'll end the Q&A, inshallah, because I don't want to keep you for too long. And it's with this pandemic, what is your advice to Omapreneur, so the group here, regarding starting a business? What is the best option we got at this time, and how do we bounce back? So for someone that's just getting started. Um, so I think that, um, um, I mean, I could... I will... I could talk about myself and what has worked for me. And from there maybe you could find something that will uh, answer your question because uh, it's always, I mean, I, I still have this um, imposter syndrome giving sometimes advice to people, right? And it's always very, very touchy because we're talking about making a livelihood, right? Um, but uh, there's better people placed like uh, Abby right there with his, uh, with his course that I'm <laughs> sure I'll be subscribing to after this show. But uh, basically one thing that has worked out for me is um, I like to have an, an analytical approach. Um, basically, um, once you once you have a first of all i think you should find an industry that you feel comfortable selling right um i had a lot of when i first came up with hot sauce i was like i have a lot of strategies for selling i feel comfortable selling it but that wasn't enough because um different i mean there's there's i mean there's uh you you don't want to be the guy selling dvd cassettes in the era of netflix right so you need to for sure so you so so you need to be dvd cds sorry yeah <laughs> I, I that or cassette tapes or cassette, or cassette, or cassette tapes. tapes yeah <laughs> so um so i think that you should be able to whenever you, you you should have validation from the market of course through your friends and family like someone mentioned as a good testing point but you should also uh back yourself with data. I mean, if you're in a university, um, there's, um, I mean, I, I know most universities have this, you could have access for free to uh, market trend reports that show you, first of all, who are, <clears throat> who are the, the major competitors in these industries? What is the market size? Um, and then you could do a market study. And I, I mean, I don't, I mean, like, uh, I'm, I mean, when you do your, I mean, the word market study is always a bit creepy because you think that it's like a school assignment where you need to research all these competitors and do these right. surveys and whatever. But like a market study, there's no real way to do one. And I mean, just what I mean by this is just spend a couple, 
couple of hours, a couple of weeks, searching who the competitors are, what they're doing, and have a deep grasp of what the market is. You don't need to write a big report, but just study the market and look at, I mean, if you look at this, this, this information over and over again, you might find the proper, you might know what this market is doing wrong right now and how you could improve it. And mm -hmm. there's, I mean, if you're interested in getting into the hot sauce industry, there's probably something that I'm doing wrong and other people in the industry are doing wrong. And you might find a um, a satellite business, right? Where, I mean, I don't know if satellite's the right word for this, but a business where like, um, I mean, I always find it strange when I find people um, selling very uh, particular products for an industry. I have a friend right now who's selling webhooks, a software to to manage webhooks for people that are working in a specific language, uh, programming language, uh, and and framework. Where if they get a mistake, where, where uh, the 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 my friend's app will will find it before it happens and it will, it will solve it. I don't know. I don't know what's what it, what it exactly is. But when you're studying the market trends and the market and uh, and doing a market study, you could find where the loopholes are, where, where the holes are in that market. And you could also find these 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 uh, uh, prod uh, products that could help support this market, right? Right. Um, so it's a bit ambiguous. I know what I'm saying, but uh, and it's about hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. No, like from what you're saying, like uh, to kind of re recap to it, it's really and that's really the only way, which is there's no straight answer to this question. There is no like, listen, this is the exact business model that you have to follow. This is the exact business that you have to start. This is the best option you have. Okay. Some gurus that have a hidden agenda will tell you, Hey, if they're selling a coaching business program, they're going to tell you, you should do coaching. If they're selling a e-commerce business, they're going to tell you, you should do e-commerce. It, whatever it is, you have to first research the market just like Rami is seeing to find out what are the trends, who are the competitors? What kind of options do I have in this industry? and understand what kind of marketplace you're going to work in. And are you comfortable, again, selling in that market? Are you comfortable? Do you know these products enough? Do you love these products enough? Are you passionate about this service, this product, to be able to work in it and build it? And that's really the key here. It's do your research, research the competitors, research the market, make sure you have a great idea. Other people are already successful doing it and making money. And that's usually a good indicator that you can probably go inside and make money as well if you add your own unique twist, inshallah. Any, any comments on that, Rami? I think you said it all in better words than I can. <laughs> no, nah, man, you, you go ahead. You went and answered. I just re repackaged it. So let's go ahead and actually I'm going to see. Okay, we're going to end the Q&A here because we have a ton of questions, but I think we answered almost all of them. Um, and I don't want this, this podcast to run for too long. Rami's time is precious, guys, and I can't keep him here for more than two hours. So I do want to give you, Rami, a chance to actually talk a little bit about custom heats and what you guys do. And also mainly where can people reach out to you if they need help or go purchase your products? Is it just through your website? Should they follow you on Facebook? What kind of challenge channels do you guys have so we can follow you and, and really support custom heats? Um, so we're available on Facebook custom heats. I think it's uh, facebook.com slash custom heats. Uh, we're on Instagram official custom heats and uh, we're available. I mean, I know a lot of you guys have businesses, um, People can give away business cards as much as you guys want, but they all end up in the garbage most of the time. <laughs> but a hot sauce bottle with your logo on it of your business with your contact information is something that is not being done as often. It's a great novel way of promoting your business. And the best Genius. thing is that they put it in their fridge for three, four, six months and they cannot throw it away. They love it. And your brand is right there in front of them all the time. So if you guys are looking to place a bulk order, uh, I'm 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure we could hook up with a little Oma Premier discount. Uh, Amazing. I'd be 20%. For a little, uh, for a you guys heard it right here. You guys heard it right here. You are going to get something special because you are part of this group. And that's what I love about bringing Rami here. And uh, and if you guys, I mean, I I try to, I mean, um, again, uh, first of all, I, I support Abby's project uh, because I think that um, for for many reasons, I think it's we are we as a as a as a as a people um, have only ourselves um, and we need to support ourselves however we can, right? Because uh, obviously there's challenges. Some challenges are outside of our control, political, humanitarian, and whatever. So um, if you guys ever have any any um, any questions. Uh, you guys are free to uh, message me on Facebook, and I'll be more than happy to answer them. Um, and I'm really, really, uh, really happy to see that uh, Abby was able to uh, gather a big community of um, Muslims, uh, business-minded, entrepreneurship-minded uh, Muslims from all over the world. I mean, I'm seeing here people, I mean, I, I, we, we spoke about this, people from all over North America and Europe. So, and I, and I can't wait to see this project keep growing. And I think that it's a, it's a, it's a moral obligation uh, <laughs> uh, and it's an obligation on my end, I think, to, to keep spreading the good word. And when Abby told me that Appreciate I it, man. to this podcast, it was a no brainer. And again, you guys could also email me, Rami at customheats.com. And, uh, and I think some people are, uh, are, um, or, yeah, I think in, in the UK, people are excited to be breaking their fast soon or something. But uh, yeah. thank you very much for giving me the time to spread the bit of knowledge that I have. And um, and, I'll, and I'll be keep, I'll be watching your, your I mean, I watch your previous podcast and I'll keep watching the future ones. Inshallah. Thank you so much, my man, for showing up on the live. And just to kind of let you guys know, right now is the time. If you want to get your bottles in time for Eid, guys, if you want to make sure that you give, I mean, think of it. You can give someone a gift of a hot sauce bottle and customize the label to say Eid Mubarak, or you can customize the label for your business card, which I never thought of before. Imagine giving someone a hot sauce bottle as a business card. You know they're not going to throw it out. You know they're going to see your business in their face every single day for at least three to six months. So that's a genius idea. Go ahead and order on customheats.com. I dropped the link in the comments. I'm going to drop it again in the description of the live. And Rami gave you permission to message him, but please don't go ahead and harass him uh, with all of your questions. Make sure that you respect his time and that you respect uh, that he's also with joining his business, but he offered it. He was kind enough to offer it for our group. So let's go ahead and make sure we respect that. And if you have questions, go ahead and answer him, inshallah. Um, Rami, it was a pleasure to have you, my man. It was an honor to have you. I'm going to drop all of your links in the description below. And again, I hope that we get to see you again on this podcast in the later episodes, inshallah. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. Thank you very much. See you all guys. right, take care. Salam.